Hello. Hello there. Hi. Okay, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Oh, this is fun. (laughs) So, how are you, first of all? Yeah, it's been way too long. It's been super too long. I've been been good. (laughs) Good. Yeah. How have you been? (laughs) Um, good. You know, the same old, same old. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say things have changed, but you know, I just got back from the ice rink. So, still doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I went from a skating competition pretty much directly to my parents for Thanksgiving. And it was just like, I'll extend the trip. Kind of. So I haven't really been home for like three weeks. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That's life. But yeah. Yeah, it is. I know it's the competitive season. Yes. I realize I'm getting in the way of every 12 year old doing triple axles on the ice, but whatever. You know what? It's good to work with distractions and to be aware. Exactly. (laughs) They need to be like, I need to dodge old ladies on the ice. And I better do it with grace or else. Yeah. yeah. You want those execution points. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Oh, so you want to talk about nutrition and the holidays? Sure. I mean, I definitely can talk, you know, towards like, you know, maybe how to like tackle the holidays. Like I'm not a, I'm not a dietitian or anything, so I don't want to like jump too much into diet diet like diet diet stuff but you know kind of an overview of like tackling the holidays and um you know just how to kind of embrace the craziness that comes with food and diet talk and all of that other stuff and coming home to the anxiety and the stress of dealing with that at the same time yes yes Great. Well, let's first have you like introduce yourself and what you do, who you are, what you do. So we get that on, on recording. Yes. (laughs) So, all right. So I am Carolyn Comis. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I reside in Los Angeles, California, although originally from the East coast. Um, I have been working with the eating disorder population, uh, gosh, I don't even know, like 10 years maybe now. Um, I used to work in a residential program on the East Coast for adolescents with eating disorders. And then I went to like day day program out here in Los Angeles. And now I work in a group private practice um, where I primarily just see eating disorder patients, but I also see um, people who do struggle with like depression and anxiety. Um, I am also through, you know, my years of working through this, I am a certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor. So I supervise other clinicians who are going for their certification, which is under the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. And I'm also on the Um, board of the Los Angeles chapter of that. So I'm pretty active in the community. Um, And my work really is around helping people with disordered eating, with poor body image, and, you know, coming from a very um, anti-diet perspective and encapsulating health at every size. So, you know, I do not you know, promote like weight loss and rather, you know, finding what's going to be healthy for each and everyone's body and which can be very individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And yeah, I work primarily with adults, adolescents. I usually do a little bit more intensive family work with them. Um, and I really like working with athletes, especially ones who are coming outside of their sport, because there is such a change in, you know, just even like with your body, with your food, like just kind of navigating the world. So that's what I've been up to. <laughs> no, that's great. And I will mention that um, we met in college and we were both skating in college. Mm -hmm. And now we have gone our separate ways, but have kind of circled back to the same goal of helping people get through the challenges once they kind of come out of sport or performance and trying to navigate life as we know it, which is different inside your athletic or performing bubble than it is mm -hmm. in the real world. Yeah. So. Yeah. So everybody's going home or a lot of people are going home for Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's hard because like right now we have three holidays coming up that are primarily centered around food and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um especially for people who are still in athletics or who have come out of disordered eating challenges or continue to struggle. Um, what are a couple tips you have for them going home and dealing with both like the family part of it? And it's, I mean, it's hard because like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the big thing I, I always say and, you know, tell, you know, even the patients that I work with and even something I do for myself is it's all right to have a game plan and to kind of map out, like, what does this day look like before even getting home? So, you know, if you're an athlete, you like visualize, like in skating, you can visualize your program and kind of mm -hmm. walk through. You can do the same thing with the holidays of, you know, like what family members are there, you know, what is typically served? How is the food laid out? Is it through courses? Is it like buffet style? Um, and having just a plan of, and it can be as, you know, in detailed of like, okay, what is it that I want to eat? And, you know, having an idea of like, I know what foods that I really like and then ones I don't really get to see too often and filling my plate up with that first to even where do I want to sit? Like if I know that my aunt is going to constantly talk about her new diet or my grandmother, you know, because she's old school or whatever, has no filter and will point out if my body has changed. Like maybe it's like, okay, let's sit at the kids table. Let's maybe it's sitting somewhere even by yourself for a little bit to eat. That's okay too. Um, you know, finding also like who can be your ally, who can be your support, because even if you're struggling, you don't have to like, you know, a lot of my patients always are like, I don't want to share with everybody what I'm going through. And certainly I don't think you have to, but having one or two people that kind of know that you can have even a code word, like, you know, if something's getting a little too intense, that you could be like, Hey, let's, let's step outside for a minute. So I think just one of the best things you can do is take a step back and game plan for that day or those couple of days. Um, and having, you know, like say, like almost like a safety plan in place of like, if it gets too intense here, is there someone I can call or text or, you know, is there a game I can play or music to listen to, like come, some kind of distraction, a movie to watch, you know, just figuring it out, like, especially within your own family dynamics, um, I think can be so super helpful. I think that's super important too, I know. Um... Like I've mentioned before, like I'm, uh, will always be in recovery from alcohol abuse, but my kind of thing is like, it's very much as promoted, like 
as an official, like in the official's hospitality room after like events, like mm-hmm. you go, you drink, there might not even be water. So like I found like I had to bring my own stuff, but it took me a while before I really wanted people to know. And I'd find one person that I could give a safe word to so mm-hmm. that if something happened, if I saw them across the room and I yelled, you know, pineapples or whatever the word mm-hmm. was, they would know what was going on and they could come get me out of like an uncomfortable situation at that yeah. I mean and I think that's hard especially with family because mm-hmm. you don't want to I mean it's hard dealing with family just in general yeah. because you don't want to disappoint them you don't want them to judge you but you know that they're always judging you at the same time mm-hmm. <laughs> And then how to figure that out around something that you're already sensitive to if it's eating um, and food and your relationship with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a similar situation of, you know, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder and I can remember those first few years of the holidays, um, you know, my parents knew and I just felt like the eyes were on me of every move I made at the table and or made getting away from the table Mm -hmm. Um, and it it could be really uncomfortable because I understand looking back now like they were just caring about me and so terrified and just wanted to make sure I was okay but it felt like a lot of pressure and I think you know even for you know people who are in going through recovery or who still are struggling knowing like who can be kind of safe because at the end of the day like I knew that even if I had some kind of slip up, I knew my parents were my, my, my safety, but I know that's not for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. But to find like, yeah, who can be that one person that you can kind of confide into of like, Hey, this is what I might be struggling with. If I seem like I'm, you know, fading out or, you know, whatever, or if I can just reach out to you, I think that can be just so, so helpful. um, Because it is a lot when there is just family and friends all in the same room together. Do you think it's important? I mean, I, I do, but I'm wondering what you think, like to have somebody outside of the situation that you can like step back from and like text or call or get away. I mean, I think alone time and kind of separating Mm -hmm. yourself is extremely important Mm -hmm. in these kind of scenarios. But do you think it's good to have somebody outside, like an outside support versus an inside support? Or do you think both is better? Um, you know, I think it's all very dependent on like, you know, what situation it is and what your needs are. Um, I do think like if you could have someone that's outside, um, that, like any additional support is great support in my mind. And, you know, sometimes it's nice, like, to have someone, whether you've met them in a support group, or it's just a friend who's not within the family circle that you could step away and reach out and be like, Hey, this is a lot or, you know, and, and just to have someone validate like, yeah, it can be a lot and and to help talk through that. Um, that, yeah, I completely agree. It, it's just for me, I, I feel like it can be just very individualized, but mm-hmm. the more support, the better is how I kind of view things. Yeah, definitely. The more support, the better and the more backup, the better, because mm-hmm. Think, think about like going through these challenges, like a lot of the times we are very alone. And part of that is these kind of like eating disorders and different things like that um, promote, whether it's promoted by someone or something you have kind of 
dived into yourself um it's very isolating or they mm-hmm. make it very isolating i mean i remember coaches who would literally like smash food on my hands so i couldn't eat and that you make you feel like you're the only one with this issue um and sometimes you're doing it because you're trying to you know please or you know perform up to somebody else's standards and it's very it's very lonely it's a lonely space to be in yeah you you know I think that isolation especially I mean you can probably speak to more of like the substance abuse but I know with like eating disorders, it's, it's just so, it's so overwhelmingly isolating. Um, you think like, oh, I, you know, by doing this, I'll get more acceptance, whether like in the sport, my coaches will be more approving of me. I'll become a better skater in life. You know, it can be drawn by like, well, people will like me better if I look a certain way. And what happens is, is like, you just kind of fall, like spiral into this hell of, you know, you're constantly thinking about what to eat, not to eat that it, you don't even realize it, how much it takes out of you, that you're not present anymore. And that the eating disorder can continue to become stronger as you're in isolation. And so I know earlier I said like, you know, you don't have to shout out to the whole world. I have this problem or I'm going through this recovery, but I definitely think it's important that you let some people in because when you can talk and like have that support, you have to take the power away from the disorder itself. Yes. No, I think that's, I think that's true for sure. Do you think it's harder for younger individuals or older individuals or do they present different challenges? Uh, you know, I think overall, like as far as sharing, I think it's harder with this, you know, with the way our culture normalizes disordered eating that I think that sometimes people like especially the younger you know younger kids that I work with don't even realize that they have this eating disorder because they watch their family you know omit food groups or compensate by working out more or things like that um you know and I so it's it's interesting (laughs) of like who is it like more of a struggle for whereas like adults I think it's harder for them too and again, under this guise of like, everyone is kind of normalizing it around you that maybe you feel like, who, is this a problem? Do I turn to someone? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because a lot of times, you know, the media kind of portrays like, you're not sick until, you know, you're hospitalized or you're on like death's door. And it's like, that's, that's not how this disorder works. Right. Like, in the minute it's like impacting your life whether you are hospitalized or you can't decide what to have for breakfast and it takes you five hours, like that's impacting your life. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting now because like having a kid and trying to figure out food and nutrition and eating for them has been, especially with my relationship with food, Mm -hmm. like has been such a struggle because like, even like at nights, like if it's like dinner time and most of the time my husband like takes care of dinner, But, like, if it's kind of, like, something that I could be putting together, I think about what she needs to eat, but I never really think about myself because food is, like, the last thing I think about personally. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, like, well, I'll make sure I have something covered for her. But then it's, like, well, what are, you know, the adult humans going to eat? And I'm, like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just I didn't really think about it. But I also think like it's been interesting kind of watching and parenting and not saying that my parents are right or wrong with how they brought us up for their parents before them. But there's this whole like kind of like movement where, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, where it was like you cleaned your plate and you sat there until you were done. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I mean, I try not to waste food, but I also really feel like I try consciously to not put that on my kid. Mm -hmm. Like if they tell me they're done, like they can be done. Yeah. And I just want to make sure they've gotten enough in them so that they can hopefully sleep through the night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which doesn't always happen. But it's like trying to gauge that. It's like, how much do you fight? And some of it is there, you know, their control over circumstances is this is one of the few things they can control. We're talking about like toddler age and like mm-hmm. younger children. They can only control sometimes like how much they eat or what they take in and stuff like that. And I think like it's given me a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like even more confused sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I work with like a lot of parents. I work with um, a population of kids who are very picky eaters, like will only eat certain foods. And some of them, you know, are fallen off their growth curve and, you know, are are very underweight. And, you know, we're talking about how to like help them to put weight on. And it's been a very, I say, fun experience for me (laughs) of you know, really educating parents on like, if all your kid is going to eat chicken nuggets right now, and we'll get to, you know, introducing new foods and and doing exposure work and that kind of stuff. But if we're really focusing on like, we need to get weight on them, like, let's go for it. And a lot of them are freaking out of like, but where are the vegetables or where is this? And it's like, well, if we put vegetables on your kid's plate, and they're not going to eat them, all they're, they're going to choose starving. And it's not, you can't starve a kid to eat. It's kind of how it is. <laughs> it, it, that does not work. I don't know where it came from, but you know, it's, it's definitely it's, a thing. I've definitely seen that out there. Oh, I've, I've heard it. I've seen it. I've, <laughs> um, but like I, you know, with t- working with a lot of little kids, like they'll say like, if that's on my plate and I am so turned off by it, I won't eat anything. And mm-hmm. so I've been, you know, really promoting like your kid, it's better to be fed than dead is like my saying yep. to parents. I'm like, just let them eat. And, you know, like, right, like letting kids who experience like, what is their hunger? What is their fullness? And it is exploration because they are getting comfortable and like learning about their body. And, you know, yeah, sometimes they're going to say I'm full. And then like an hour later, they might be hungry again let them eat. Like mm-hmm. it, it's all right. Um, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. We, we've come from, I definitely came from a family where it was like, finish your, like my grandparents were like, finish your plate. Yeah. Um, and then my parents were always dieting. So it was always don't finish your plate. And it was yep. a lot of <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this food on my plate. <laughs> well, it also hungry. is like, I feel like it's what we have in the house too. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's always like Diet Coke or Crystal Light or something that's like, you know, obviously like low sugar drinks, low this, low fat things. And then like if you grow up like accustomed to eating those things, that's kind of that you keep carrying on those same yeah. um, habits, which could be good or bad, <laughs> depending on what they are. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I don't know. It's it's, tr- it's tricky. It's like it's a tricky thing. I mean, right now, I every time because like juice is really like not great for children because it's all sugar. So uh, my daughter thinks she's picking out juice, and I let her pick out a Pedialyte packet. <laughs> And I'm like, great, it's juice time. What color do you want? And someday she will figure out that that is not juice. But Mm -hmm. for right now, I'm like, well, at least she's getting like some sort of like electrolytes and stuff into her instead of, um, you know, just junk. And I do think like having a balance of like things that are like treat items and things that are healthy items, whether they're either disguised or they are you know put right out there like is is important like from the get-go yeah yeah I mean I I truly believe like making like no food is off limits um Mm -hmm. you know just like all foods have a place and you know I think part of it is like just for us not to be scared of that you know if I only give my child candy like like that's all they're going to want to eat um, because our bodies aren't wired to just survive on one type of food group and mm-hmm. that it will you know over time and that's I think where like the idea of intuitive eating is like what is it my body is hungry for can really come through but when we start to demonize food um, that's when it can really set up like those really bad relationships, um, where it's like good versus bad food. I mean, I grew up where, um, I unfortunately was the fat kid in my house, which I'm not saying unfortunately anymore, cause it's all right to be fat. Um, but my brother wasn't. And in my house, because I had very dieting parents, all of what was a quote unquote, like the fun food or the junk food, he got his shelf of that and I wasn't allowed to touch it. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That was told to me, like, that's your, that's your brother's shelf. That's his snack food. So for me, it was like, well, now all of a sudden these snack food and yeah, you know, long time to realize like, if I want a cookie, I can have a cookie anytime I want. And that's how it can be. But out that was it was like no this is sometimes or, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I would try, I would sneak this food because it was, it was like, oh, is really special that makes sense and I think that kind of like continues especially like I think about like Thanksgiving well like American Thanksgiving because that's where we are um it's like kind of really gluttonous Mm -hmm. as a holiday so it's sometimes it's like oh there's all these things that you wouldn't get to have Mm-hmm. normally are on the table but then you're still being like should I eat it should I not eat it how do I decide like what do mm-hmm. I let myself you know what do I allow myself to treat myself with if it were going in mm-hmm. that direction or I mean there's some like really good options and I think there's some really bad options so <laughs> yeah it's yeah, a tricky I mean- one yeah, you know, I, I, with working with my patients, you know, I, I kind of just like normalize, like, this is a holiday that is so full of food. And oftentimes food, we don't see, like all the time, like, I don't go to a restaurant and be like, mm, I'm gonna get like pumpkin pie. Like, it really right. is very specific. And I think normalizing that you may overeat on this day, because there might be something you're going to eat that you legitimately might not see for a whole nother year. Um, but you know, for the most part to go into this day of like, it is just another meal, 
you know, and if you can go for, I had a dietitian many years ago who used to say to me, like, just pick what you really want first. And then if mm-hmm. you're still hungry and you want to go for seconds, then you can go for like, what was like second on your list, but go for the foods that you really want first, fill up on those first, because those will probably be more satisfying than if it's like, well, it's Thanksgiving. I better just stick with a salad because that yeah. may not be what you want. You may really want the stuffing and the cranberry sauce mm-hmm. so go for it. I think that's important too, to like, make sure that you are, um, focusing first on like what your physical and emotional needs are mm-hmm. for these things versus just going straight towards like, what's the health factor? What's the benefit? Like, what am I getting out of it nutritionally? Mm-hmm. Cause I think there is a huge mental component to actually feeling more fulfilled when you make those choices and you pick out the things that you want first. Yeah, you're going to feel so much more satisfied. And, you know, because I, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself. If I force myself to go for the salad, but what I really want is, you know, the Brussels sprouts and bacon or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to be satisfied. And then I will keep eating until yeah. that there is that satisfaction. And at that point, maybe now I feel so uncomfortable, or maybe in pain. And it's like, I could have just had what I wanted initially and been on with my day instead of now making this a bigger thing that it has to be. Yeah. What do you think? Let's see. I was like trying to think of questions because I know we've been like talking about like what we could talk about, but what do you Mm -hmm. think like your, what's like kind of like your top advice to people who are going home and who are worried about struggling or who are worried about choosing and then dealing with the repercussions afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, with like, you know, choosing kind of that same thing goes back to the game planning is can you, do you know like what the menu might be? Cause sometimes that's really helpful, you know, you know, for a lot of Thanksgivings, I think we, you know, what typical dishes are going to show up and everything. And sometimes even just meal planning out, like, what it is you want to have. Um, I think it's also super important is figuring out what time is the meal to Mm -hmm. also meal plan out your entire day can be super helpful because one of the things I think a lot of people do with or without disordered or eating disorder eating um, is they start to compensate by like, well, I'm having such a big meal, so I'm not going to eat breakfast or I'm having such a big dinner, so I'm not going to eat lunch. And it's like, (laughs) this is not going to be helpful because when we skip meals, our body will be like, hey, we've now just gone eight hours today doing lots of things and have not put a single ounce of energy into our body. You damn well straight, we're going to get that when we sit down yeah. at a table filled with food. Um, and so that is like probably the biggest thing I tell um, my clients with eating disorders is like, what are you having for breakfast that day? What are you going to have for lunch? And then what are you having for dinner? And like, if, are there snacks that you need to have? Plan those all out. I think that it can be really, really helpful when you kind of have like whether it's written down somewhere on your phone or just a visualization in your head of like these are the times that I'm eating and this is what I am eating. You know, and I know you were saying like post meal that what if there's that regret? What if there's that feeling of guilt? And again, it's one day of eating that even if you overeat, you're 
body is going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like really nothing can happen. You know, if the big fear is like, I'm going to gain weight, you know, one, we can probably talk about why is weight gain so scary, but two, like, is that like logistically something that happen in one day? Right. And really like, what is, what is the damage that you're doing? I mean, we know that over like a long time, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> over a long time, um, your body will start to like hold on to the things that you are denying it once, mm-hmm. at least nutritionally. And that mm-hmm. will contribute to like weight gain and stuff in the long run. But one day is not going to make a difference there. Right. Yeah. So like if you don't eat carbs for six months and then you decide to start eating bread again, it's not the bread that made you gain weight. It's the fact that you didn't provide those nutrients to your body. Right. Am I right on that? Or I'm I mean, not a nutritionist either, but yeah. that's kind of what I had been told about like it, you kind of create your own cycle of that disordered eating like keeps like cycling down and you keep messing with like your metabolism if you the nutritional value of what you're taking in yeah I mean like that's something that you know we I mean it's all out there like the research shows like 98 percent of people who intentionally try to lose weight will gain it back and then add more to it and it's you know like that's all out there like it's easy to find that research and that's what happens is like we're denying our body the caloric intake it needs or the food groups that it needs that when you do start to like eat you know i would say quote unquote normally again like you know your body is going to be like yeah we we need to prepare for this starvation so we need to pile on more weight because mm-hmm. it's like doesn't know that at some point you know when people kind of do the site, like the yo-yo dieting, it's like your body is always prepared for it to lose these foods or the amount of food. And so it may push up, like even your, your natural set point weight can start to move up or it can start to slow down your metabolism because it just doesn't know, like, are we going to be starving in the next few days? Now it's, you know, we don't talk about like how dieting is actually far more harmful. <laughs> right. <laughs> actually just carrying extra weight on our bodies. And I think it's important, like we acknowledge that like the number isn't the thing. It's how, how, like, I don't want to say like how active, but like mm-hmm. you can be an athletic or healthy or an active person and still not be like a size zero. Yeah. Um. And there are like plenty of things you can do and things that will show that you're just fine at the size that you are, whether it's what you want or not, mm-hmm. um, but that you are at a healthy weight. Cause I think, I don't remember, but like I saw somebody was like sharing like an article about Lizzo and it's like, you know, she gets a lot of shit for being like a bigger mm-hmm. woman, but like the amount she does physically, both like on stage like vocally, um, even if you go to like her, like playing the flute and the amount of like breath capacity and strength you have to have for that. Like if she was unhealthy, she couldn't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's this idea that we can tell if someone is healthy or unhealthy by the size of their body and automatically assuming that if you're in a larger body, you must be unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
the, it's those things don't actually connect <laughs> at all. Right. You know, like, yeah, Lizzo is in a larger body and she is able to do lots of things like she, like that's her body size. That's what it right. is. You know, I imagine if, if she was trying to intentionally lose weight, you know, over time, I think a lot of her stamina is, and it would probably go down because mm-hmm. she probably have to like cut out a, you know, a substantial amount of nutrition. Right. And then that would change kind of her whole, what her abilities were, what she's mm-hmm. able to do and how she's able to perform and the longevity of mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky thing. I feel like this is like diverting a little bit, but I mean, I've been kind of like in and out of doctors trying to figure out like where like some of my like health stuff is coming in right now. Mm-hmm. And most of the answers I get like are like, well, you're too strong to have blank. It's like, well, you're, you're overweight, but also you're too strong to have X condition. And I'm like, I don't think that that strength ever plays into (laughs) if you have like an actual like condition or not, like, but you can be strong and still be like above their recommended BMI. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's mostly what I get when I go in. It's like, oh, well, like the strength is there. It's surprising Mm -hmm. because you don't look like you should be able to like do that much, but apparently you can. Yeah. Oh, doctors. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's just like, yeah. So angry. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're they're just so, unfortunately, you know, or I don't know, doctors are human beings also, and they have their own biases and, you know, they will carry their own weight biases as well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it is very hard to be in a larger body and go into the doctor because the first thing, you know, whatever ailment you're going to have, they'll be like, we'll lose weight first. And then we can try that. And it's so unfair because if it's someone in a thinner body walking with the same ailment, they be like, here's your intervention. Here's your intervention. And so it just prolongs someone in a larger body getting the help they need, which could in turn make them sicker. Because again, like, if we prescribe weight loss, but we know that weight loss, intentional weight loss does not work. You're essentially prescribing a medication that we're saying like, take this medication, but guess what? In a few weeks, you're going to be sick again. Right. And maybe even worse off than you are today. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't take that medication then. Like that's pretty sucky. (laughs) And I think, unfortunately, like if we're talking about like medical biases, like and medical gaslighting in general, like if you walk in and you're a woman, if you walk in, if you are, over a certain size if you walk in and you have mental health in your chart like they're already going to jump to conclusions before they see you yeah which is frustrating but I, I think it's it's out there you know yeah oh yeah I mean I can remember when I moved to LA years ago and I got a new doctor didn't really know my history took one look at my BMI and was like I need to set you up with a nutritionist we need you to lose weight and I was just like, well, I am recovering from an eating disorder. I have had more nutritional knowledge than you will ever have in your little finger. <laughs> I was like, and I don't know why that is like a thing. Like everything else, all my other numbers show I'm fine. And I'm like, what else do you want me to do? I already work out X amount of times a week. Like I'm very active, like all this stuff. And it was just, she just saw a chart and she saw a number and was like, that's what she jumped on. And I was like, and you're fired. But you can do, yep. I let everyone know, yep. like, 
your doctor pisses you off, you can fire them. <laughs> I think that is really important for people to recognize because I think people think, mm-hmm. I think people think, um, <laughs> I um, think it is more rare to see people talk about choosing their own direction for their wellness and choosing their own mm-hmm. clinician team. And if somebody is not filling the needs of what they are trying to solve for problems or the help that they're trying to get that you have the choice to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's more, I think maybe normalized when like people are up against like having big surgeries and you'll go and you'll get second and third opinions, but you can get second and third opinions for your, just your regular medical, like medical health needs and yeah. that you are allowed to put together the team that's going to work for you. And, you know, I have to say that there are some doctors and I'm hoping that they'll continue to grow that are, who are amazing, who will be totally okay that you say, I don't want to be weighed or, you know, I don't want to talk about this. I want to focus on, you know, what's actually going on in my body, not my weight. They're out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I definitely, my, my colleagues, we always collect names and we're like, these are the names of the people we would recommend going to if you've had that experience, because it, it is unfair. And, you know, something like that, like this is your health. You, you deserve people who are going to be on your team. Exactly. And I think that's something I've found too, is like, kind of like trying to find out whatever unknown neurological condition I have, um, is I've worked with like other professionals and they'll be like, don't go see this person or Mm -hmm. let me know if this person works out so I can recommend them to other people. Because a lot of doctors are on your side and they will take the time to try to help you find the right team Mm -hmm. and the things that work best for you. And it might mean like a lot of trial and error, but eventually, hopefully you get to that point where it's, you know, it's something you're comfortable with and it's people that understand you. And I think that's kind of one of the big things too, especially is that we don't have a lot of understanding for people who are not like us in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially we kind of like look at people and we're either like, they don't look like us. They are have a higher weight than us. They, we don't understand why they do the things they do. They talk about their disordered eating. It doesn't make any sense. Like it just seems like crazy that people would just not eat. Um, And I think that also makes it hard for people to talk about it and both come forward and then like dealing with say back to like a family holiday aspect, Mm -hmm. you come home and you're like, I don't, I haven't been eating for six months or like I'm trying to like watch this because I've been struggling with disordered eating. A lot of like people even generationally, but in our generation too, like just don't understand the whole concept in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think sometimes it's just too black and white for a lot of people or, you know, that there's like a look to someone who is struggling with an eating disorder and if you don't fit that look, that doesn't make much sense. Or the idea of like, why can't you just eat? Or why can't you just not eat? Um, depending on, you know, some just judgment through body size. Um, yeah, that there is, there can be a lot of that judgment. And, you know, I, I like that we're talking more and more about it. Because um, I think that's the only way we're going to kind of destigmatize, you know, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So Carolyn, final thoughts going into Thanksgiving. Yes. What are your final takeaways today? Like anything else you would like to like share 
or things you think that, I don't know, little nuggets that are good for people to remember to keep with them when they're going into this week? Yeah. I mean, I think a big takeaway is, you know, like you said, like game plan, game plan, what the day is going to look like, you know, of course, things don't always go to plan, but I think it's okay to have kind of a roadmap, having support, whoever that might be, tag them in. And I also say like, remember that this is just a holiday. It's one day, you know, that is there something that you can think about that you do look forward to about it? If you can, I mean, I know that the holidays can be hard for a lot of us, um, but finding any little kind of silver lining to the day, even if it is, you know, I'll get through this day and then I don't have to see those family members for another year. Yep. (laughs) Go with it, you know? Um, But just trying to find that and that it is at the, if we just boil it down to what it is for at least for those who are struggling with the eating disorder, it's, it is just a meal. That is all Mm -hmm. it is. It's a carb. It's a protein. It's a fruit, a vegetable fat. That's, that's what's happening. That's showing up. I know it's a lot of food, pick what you want and just know like all you're doing is you're nourishing your body, both emotionally, physically, maybe spiritually, you know, that that's all it is. It's just a meal. I love that. I think that's a great like point, like, and we can, obviously we're going to chat again, but to Mm -hmm. kind of take away before we go, just a meal is really an important thought. And I don't think a lot of people think about it like that. They're like, it's a big to do. But if you think about it as just a meal, mm-hmm. it might be able to be more manageable, at least mentally, like for people who are struggling. So I really, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's something that helped, helps me out. I will say it continues to help me out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's probably my, my, my golden nugget that I tell everybody like, yeah, it's just a meal. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely using that this week. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so, Caroline, we can find you on Instagram and online at Take Back the Mirror. Yes. And I will link to all your stuff here, too, once I post this. But thank you for chatting and yeah. have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm glad we're catching up. Yeah, you, too. It's so great talking to you again. Yeah, we will. Um, We'll set up another one of these and maybe we'll figure out some other kind of ways to get some tips and tricks out to people. Yeah, I would love that. I would love to connect again. Awesome. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye.